Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. That's to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show, where we want the Republicans out of our bedrooms, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. I'm John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor for Breitbart News, sitting in for Alan today while he's out on assignment. Well, one of the big controversies flying around the world is the rise of authoritarian power, of censorship, of the reduction of political freedom. And it seems like a few world leaders are getting the idea that they went a bit too far uh, during the pandemic and its aftermath. And they seem to be trying to backpedal away from their authoritarianism a little bit. And one example of that would be Justin Trudeau the Prime Minister of Canada. Trudeau has lately been running around and saying he didn't force anybody to do anything. He didn't force anybody to to take any vaccines. He didn't use any compulsion against people, which is ludicrous. I mean, everybody knows what happened in Canada. They had those giant freedom convoy trucker protests of people that were saying they didn't want to take the vaccines. They were resisting government orders. They didn't like the way the government was handling the pandemic. And they were treated like terrorists. They were shut down ruthlessly uh, as possible and some tremendous government powers were invoked by the Trudeau administration to do this. And now here we are, a year and change later, and he's saying, oh, no, I never did anything like that. What are you talking about? I'm I'm no authoritarian. And likewise, you have uh, over here in the United States such people as Dr. Anthony Fauci, has been backpedaling away from his authoritarianism. Fauci uh, gave an interview the other day where he said he never set, shut any schools down. What are you talking about? I never, I never force anybody to take any vaccines. I never, never shut any school down, which is technically correct. I mean, Anthony Fauci didn't do that stuff himself. He didn't run to the local schools with a chain and a padlock, you know, and nail the door shut. He advised the people who did that. He told the people in power who were trusting him implicitly uh, in 100% that that's what they needed to do, and so they did it. And so we had the horror of the lockdowns and the shutdown schools, the effect on our kids, the effect on our economy. He was a prime mover in all of that. And remember, at one time, there were people that were venerating Fauci as a saint. They, they had votive candles of him, like he was a saint, and they would burn little candles to Anthony Fauci because they trusted him with such religious devotion, and so did a lot of people in power. So his advice was used to implement policies. When Anthony Fauci challenged the laboratory leak theory of the origin of the Wuhan coronavirus, which is absolutely where it came from at this point, it takes a, an act of faith comparable to religious epiphany to deny that the Wuhan laboratory had something to do with all of this. The, the evidence is overwhelming in that direction, and the evidence of a natural origin has simply failed to materialize, despite people trying for years to get it done. But that's not what Anthony Fauci said. Anthony Fauci said, no, nah, lab leak, that's a bunch of racist uh, anti-Chinese people are, are saying that. It's, it's pro- obviously a zoonotic origin. Let's not, you know, let's not hassle the Chinese. 
for having some role in all this. And then we started finding out that Anthony Fauci had some financial relationship with the, the Wuhan Institute and money was contributed to their research. It's all, it's all a big mess, but it, it's pretty obvious that there were people with vested interests acting in all of this. So here's all these people that are authoritarians that were telling us what we have to do, what we have to say, and smashing all resistance. And they're saying now today, oh no, I never did any of that stuff. Uh, that wasn't me. That, that must have been some other guy. And Trudeau is a great example. So Bill Maher, is on his show on HBO the other night. He's talking about Trudeau, and he's kind of incredulous that Trudeau would try to backpedal away from his iron-fisted authoritarianism and would today try to pretend he never did any such thing. I think we have a clip of Bill Maher. Let's roll that clip. It's clip one. He, he said, this is a couple of weeks ago, He was, or maybe this is September, but he was talking about people who are not vaccinated. He said they don't believe in science. They're often misogynistic, often racist. No, they're mm, not. That was not that, smart of him at all. Right. He said, but they take up space. Mm. And oh. with that, we have to make a choice in terms of a leader as a country. Do we tolerate these people? It's like, tolerate them? Now you do that's, sound like no, Hitler. That's, mm-hmm. that, that was- uh, and recently he talked about them holding, holding unacceptable views. Wow. This, I'm yeah. surprised to hear that Trudeau said those things. You didn't see the blackface? I mean, he, he, he's, uh, no, I'm kidding about it. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I was not a good look for him. But, I, I, I mean, come on. I mean, that's, I think, what gets under people's skin. Yeah, no doubt that's what gets under people's skin. And it's not just the pandemic. I mean, here you've got chapter and verse. We've got the receipts, as they say, of Trudeau talking about people opposed to his policies as subhuman. He's literally calling them subhuman. He says we shouldn't tolerate them. They have no role in our society. They shouldn't be allowed to resist. They shouldn't have anything to say. The science has spoken. And it turned out his science was wrong in a lot of ways. But, you know, nobody wants to admit that either. Uh, But, you know, he said the science has spoken. So the debate is over. And now there is only obedience and resistance. And if you resist, you're a terrorist and we shouldn't tolerate you. I mean, this is, as Mar pointed out, I mean, you bring in Hitler and you're really rolling up an argument. He did that there. He said, it sounds like Hitler. And yeah, you, you invite Hitler into an argument and you're, you're going off into a new world here. But it certainly is authoritarian. That That is how all authoritarian governments behave. That is the way authoritarianism works. There is an assertion that an elite, that an authority has absolute power and that you're not allowed to disagree with that authority. Now, in the Western world, in the U.S. and in Canada, the authoritarians will tell you how much they love democracy. Oh, they they swoon over it. They have posters of democracy on their bedroom walls, and they sigh dreamily every time they look at those posters. Nobody loves democracy more than we do. (laughs) But the authoritarian party in America calls itself the Democratic Party. Oh, we love democracy. No, they don't. Their idea of democracy is this shriveled, minute thing where the experts have spoken on most of the big issues. A consensus has been reached. A Supreme Court decision that they like has been handed down. If they don't like it, they'll never accept it. But if they do like it, that's it, the end. You're not allowed to discuss it anymore. There's nothing further to say. There is only obedience and disobedience at that point to be discussed. And the pandemic was the perfect example of this, but by no means the only. This 
this is the attitude that they increasingly take with global warming. I mean, even as the evidence rolls in that it's flapdoodle and a lot of the stuff they believe isn't true, and people start running the numbers and realizing that the climate change cult is demanding things that either cannot be done or wouldn't make that much of a difference by their own lights, when you bring any of that up, you're told, shut up, we're not going to tolerate you. You don't get to talk about this anymore. Increasingly, parents in schools are told this. They find out what their kids are being taught. They're getting this garbage of the of transsexual indoctrination. They're getting drag queen story hours. They're getting critical race theory, which is kind of what started the parental revolt against the education system. And what is the answer? The answer is not, oh, we understand your concerns. The answer is not, we can see why you're upset. The answer is not, let us sit down together and have a rational discussion about this and let us address your problems. No, 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 no. You're told, shut up. We're not going to tolerate you exactly like Trudeau talked about the trucker protesters and the anti-vaccine folks and whatnot in Canada. It's exactly the same attitude. The science has spoken. You're not allowed to resist. We have decided that your kids are going to be taught the 57 genders and you have nothing to say about it. You're not qualified to talk about it. That's increasingly the answer you get. You don't quite go as far as Trudeau, who is a very clumsy individual. He slips into authoritarian camp very easily, and it's ugly when it comes out of his mouth. Most of the American politicians are smoother than he is, and they'll, they'll try to mask it a bit. But at the end of the day, they're saying the same thing. They're saying, you, you don't count. We, your opinion doesn't count. You shouldn't have any influence on our democracy. You shouldn't have any control over the government. We, the experts, have spoken. And that's what authoritarianism does. Now, they, they put a little bit of space aside for you. They say there are some things we'll let you vote on. We'll hold elections. Uh, you know, you get, to, you get to vote for party-approved people. Increasingly, they're going to tell you that anyone who is outside of the party's notion of what is allowed and permissible cannot be voted for. We're already getting a taste of that. I think we got a taste of it for the last seven years or so, and we're getting a bit more of it as we ramp up for 2024. Uh, you're going to be told some people, uh, you know, you can't vote for them. They're not, they're not allowed to participate because their ideas are unacceptable, and only people that operate within what the authoritarians have decided is democratic will be permitted into the election. And increasingly, uh, you can't speak if you're not in line with what the party says is acceptable, such as Tucker Carlson, for example. Big media story about Tucker Carlson getting kicked off Fox. Nobody is 100% sure in the public at this point why, because people involved in the decision are not talking. It's all rumor, hypothesis, innuendo. There's probably non-disclosure agreements involved that may prevent people from speaking openly about it for a while. But the bottom line is that Tucker Carlson, who was the biggest draw on Fox by a considerable margin, was unceremoniously booted off of his show. And as soon as this happens, he he doesn't even get to go in for a last day. He's just gone as of Monday morning. And as soon as this happens, what do you hear? But you have uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a prominent authoritarian in the Democratic Party, pops up and says, well, this proves deplatforming works. This is great. She's celebrating the idea of crushing dissent and silencing people who say things that she doesn't like using coercive power, state power, corporate power. Increasingly, it's all the same thing. So that's authoritarianism as a nutshell. And Justin Trudeau summed it up very well. The people who disagree with you don't count. They're not human. And they shouldn't have anything to say about how the government works. We should reject that with all of our might. That's not America. I'm John Hayward sitting in for Alan today. We'll be right back with more of the Alan Nathan Show. This message is provided by Beringer Ingelheim.
Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is one of the more common forms of progressive fibrosing interstitial lung diseases with symptoms including breathlessness during activity, a dry and persistent cough, chest discomfort, fatigue, and weakness. There are more than 200 lung disorders that can lead to pulmonary fibrosis, an irreversible scarring of lungs that can negatively impact lung function, quality of life, and may become life-threatening. While approved treatments for people living with these diseases can help slow disease progression, new therapies are are needed to help potentially stop progression. Fortunately, there is new research underway to assess the safety and efficacy of an investigational treatment in patients with IPF and other progressive ILDs. This is part of Beringer Ingelheim's Phase 3 Global Fibronir Program. To learn more about Fibronir and eligibility requirements, visit fibronir-ipf.longboat.com and fibronir-ild.longboat.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon-St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to skill 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. 
Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News. You can find my work at Breitbart.com, and you can find me on Twitter at DOC underscore zero. President Joe Biden has formally announced his intention to run again. There was a little uh, amusing hysteria at the White House as they fumbled over whether he really meant it or not. The White House press secretary said that she couldn't commit to whether he was really going to run again. But that all got squared away. And yes, he released a video that said his hat is in the ring to run for re-election in 2024. And depending on which analyst and poll set you listen to, he either has no chance of winning, he has no chance of losing, he can only win against President Donald Trump and former President Donald Trump if he runs. Uh, Biden has no chance of losing if Trump runs and so on. You know how polls are. They're, they're all over the place. But there is a theory that says that Biden is in deep trouble here, and not only because the economy is doing horribly and the American people are still grumpy about it. Here with us to talk about his chances is Dr. Murray Severn, Emeritus Professor of Finance at Ramapo College of New Jersey. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show, sir. Great to be with you, John. So, of course, everybody's trying to do the odds, and it's a little silly to do it this far out from the election. We all know how polls fluctuate, but there are signs of weakness with President Biden and also signs that since no one seems to be able to get more than a couple of points ahead of him, he's still pretty viable, even though most Americans are very unhappy with the direction of the country. What's the key to understanding Biden's chances in 2024? Well, I think Biden's chances for 24 are, well, depends on your perspective, but I don't think he's going to run. As I posted in my Substack column yesterday, I think the Democratic insiders are very nervous about him running because, quite simply, he's just uh, one one uh, fall away from going to assisted living center because he is physically and mentally frail. And that's just the reality. Everybody knows this. So the question is, uh, what's going to happen at the convention in Chicago in the summer of 2024? And I believe he will drop out of the race. The insiders will get together so there's no big battle uh, uh, only behind the scenes. And they're going to pick uh, Gavin Newsom uh, because he's a governor with experience of the largest state in the union. And this way they can get rid of Kamala Harris also because Gavin Newsom's from California, so is Kamala Harris. And the Constitution uh, does not allow to uh, a president and a vice president to be from the same state. So I think the fix is in. And I think I'm the only one that's writing about this, that I think Biden, his days are over. Uh, he served the purpose of the uh, insiders and the people who are controlling him in the White House. And he's given us a disaster. He's given us uh, incredible domestic spending and a horrible situation uh, with the proxy war against Russia and the Ukraine. So when you put everything in the mix, uh, as you say, it's too early to know uh, who's going to emerge on the Republican side. But if all the uh, polls are correct, that Trump's going to get the nomination. The Democrats want to run against Trump, uh, but uh, there's an old saying, be careful what you wish for. That's a pretty complicated political operation. I think almost every incumbent president in my lifetime, there has been some rumor that they were going to ditch their Veep because the Veep was supposedly a drag on the ticket for one reason or another. And it never actually happens. And the political insiders always say it's really tough to get rid of the running mate and then tell the party, vote for us again. It just makes you look bad. It makes you look like you made mistakes in the administration. And here we're talking about both Biden and his Veep getting thrown overboard to some degree, you know, or replacing Kamala Harris with Gavin Newsom, or, or maybe Biden isn't a candidate. That's a lot of heavy lifting for the Democrats, isn't it? Nobody's ever really pulled anything like that off in a presidential race. Well, we're in unprecedented times. We've never had a president this old. We've never had a president uh, who's this frail uh, physically and mentally. And so when and we never had a proxy war against uh, uh, Russia. 
and the, and the economy is ready to uh, roll over, as I've written in the past year and a half. Uh, the recession has been baked in the cake because of the Federal Reserve's uh, incredibly uh, reckless uh, m- money printing in 2020, and now the chickens are coming home to roost. So uh, from now till the summer of 2024, a lot of water is going to uh, go under that bridge, and a lot of things can happen domestically and internationally. Uh, we've got the uh, China-Taiwan situation uh, bubbling uh, up. And so uh, the question is, will the Democrats be comfortable with Joe Biden? Remember, uh, just look at his age. And if you speak to any life insurance agent, uh, his mortality is not that great, given that he's 80 and he's had a long history of physical ailments. As a counterpoint, I mean, that is obvious. And I know there are a lot of people that are unsettled by his deteriorating condition. But you could say a lot of that's already baked into the cake because everybody knew he had problems going into the election. And we also seem to be entering an era where that isn't a big problem, at least not for Democratic Party voters. Look at John Fetterman. I mean, the the, the poor man is just barely there. And and they seem perfectly okay with voting for him as a senator. And I think it's a poor statement on the quality of our politics. I find it an alarming trend. But a lot of voters increasingly think the person they're voting for doesn't matter. They're voting for a power block in a shadowy master party, and the individual person isn't that important. Well, having run as a, both a libertarian and a Republican in the state of New Jersey for governor and the U.S. Senate, I can tell you um, uh, people who supported me as a Republican would not support me as a libertarian, even though I had the same exact views. So it just tells you that people are just interested in what letter you have after your name. Is it an R or a D? And if it's an R, people will vote for you. And if it's a D, people will vote for you. And as you know, it's very hard to run as a third-party independent candidate. The only one successful in the United States, well, there are two, um, Senator King from Maine and uh, Senator Sanders from uh, from uh, Vermont. Otherwise, uh, people elect R's and D's uh, because that's the cult- political culture that we live in, even though uh, the v- people may be more attuned to the views of the independent candidate. But uh, as you know, the... Uh, uh, wasting your vote is, is, is one of the uh, uh, concepts in American voting uh, habits. And so that's the frustration I had as a third-party candidate. And even running in a Republican primary, um, people uh, want, quote, in New Jersey, they want an establishment candidate. They didn't want an outsider. So I was ahead of my time. I, Trump uh, showed that an outsider could win because he had the name recognition and um, his persona just uh, overwhelmed the other candidates. But uh, getting back to uh, what we said about Fetterman and, and Biden, yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that a, pres- a candidate's health has, has not been an issue when we know in 1972 uh, uh, George McGovern dropped uh, um, his uh, vice president can- uh, candidate because uh, he had uh, electric shock therapy therapy years earlier. So the culture has changed in America where health issues don't seem to be a big problem for the voters, except if Biden winds up in a hospital or uh, he just shows that he just cannot articulate anything on the campaign trail. And the fact that he's not debating in the primary speaks volumes of what the insiders think about his ability to communicate against RFK or any other credible uh, um, candidate that's going to jump into the the Democratic primary. The uh, war in Ukraine is an interesting issue. You mentioned that as something that may work against him. It doesn't seem from current polling uh, that there's a huge public resistance to it. There are people that aren't happy with it. There are people that have questions. There are people that think we're spending too much money. But by and large, it doesn't seem like the public has really soured on that effort yet, probably because there aren't really American casualties. So we're just talking about spending money right now. Is that really going to be an issue that a Republican candidate will exploit? Most of them probably more or less support the war in Ukraine with the notable 
notable exception of Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I, I would run an ad saying here the people of uh, Palestine, uh, was it Ohio, that were affected by that trail derailment train derailment, and we spent over $100 billion on the borders of uh, uh, Ukraine when the, when the immigrants are flooding in, the migrants are flooding in in the southern border. I, to compare and contrast uh, Biden's policy on the border and uh, Ukraine, I think would be a good way to show that Biden is out of touch with what is needed for this country. It will be interesting to see if that's the tack any candidate takes and if Republican candidates take that approach against each other because they have to get through a primary before they get their shot at Joe Biden. Dr. Murray Saverin, Emeritus Professor of Finance at Ramapo College of New Jersey, thank you very much for joining us. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward of Breitbart News. We will be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is here, and there's no better time to try something new. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar and enjoy real Coke taste and zero sugar. Now available at participating Burger King restaurants. Try Coke Zero Sugar with your favorite food from Burger King. Satisfy your hunger and enjoy Coke Zero Sugar with a piping hot breakfast sandwich, like a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant makes for a delicious breakfast to start your morning right. And don't forget the crispy hash browns. Or if the flame-grilled Whopper sandwich, BK Royal crispy chicken sandwich, or chicken fries are your fave, you are in luck. All Burger King menu items pair perfectly with an ice-cold Coke Zero Sugar. It's the perfect no-sugar sparkling beverage that goes great with everything. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar to enjoy spring your way at Burger King, where you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council.
You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM. So can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News. We were talking about Ukraine a little while ago, and Ukraine is very important for a number of reasons, not only the American investment in defending Ukraine from the Russian invasion, but the game of great powers that is playing out with Ukraine as a battlefield is of tremendous significance, and China is very much a player in that game, a good deal of the future of the human race may ultimately be influenced, may be decided by what happens in the next couple of years as China begins to rise as a global hegemonic power and perhaps bypasses the United States. They certainly think they can do it, and they certainly want to. Here with us to talk about it is Maxine Albert, a former columnist for Elle magazine and author of the book Pandemonium, China's Global Strategy to Cripple America. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I just want to say that um, my husband, my late husband, Curtis Ellis, wrote the book Pandemonium, China's Global Strategy to uh, Cripple America. Mistake. My mistake. I'm sorry about that. But it's, it's, it's an important topic, and I'm glad that you're here to talk about it because this is a great preoccupation of mine. I am four square opposed to China's global strategy to cripple America, but I think they do have one, and I think it's playing out. Oh, well, um, I'm so glad you said that because, you know, Curtis Ellis was a leading economic and trade expert, and he was a trade advisor in the Trump administration. And he called out China for years that they were they were our number one enemy. And he started writing this book before his illness. He passed in 2021 uh, and he finished it. Uh, he never stopped writing because he saw China as our number one enemy and his writing is so prophetic. Everything he said is so true. 
I have actually spoken to Donald Trump once, and it was on this very subject because he had written a book about the Chinese threat back in 2012 when he tried to run for president. I thought he had some interesting arguments in there, and he was beating the drum and saying, look, we've made China rich, and they're going to use that money, and they're coming after us in a bunch of ways, and we have to be ready for it. That is what I think we're seeing happening now. I think a lot of carefully positioned pieces are sliding into place, and Ukraine is the theater more so than Taiwan, where I think the next chapter will be written because China wants to be the peacemaker that's going to fix Ukraine. It's going to stop the Russian invasion. And if they can do that and make the Biden administration look like absolute fools just sitting on the sideline with their mouths hanging open while China swings in there and ends the war, that is the end of the American century, isn't it? Well, that's exactly what they're trying to do. I mean, I just saw today that the, that the Chinese currency, yuan, is for the first time is being used instead of the dollar in China's cross-border transactions. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to bypass the U.S., um, be the number one superpower. And we have created them. I mean, we've American technology and um, American money have made them into this technological and military superpower and and we have to stop and and decouple from china and two weeks ago for the first time the house select committee on china composed of both republicans and democrats named them as our number one enemy that we have to decouple from china and bring our supply chains back because if they go to war with taiwan or or do anything they can cut off our medical supplies in tomorrow and because we're dependent on them for everything. You know, it's interesting is that China depends on us for some things, too, and they are taking very aggressive steps, very obvious steps, to make sure that we can't cripple them by shutting off things that they want from us. Right now, the Chinese are on this huge campaign to cut down forests in order to expand their farmland, and it's causing all kinds of ecological problems, and they don't care because their objective is to make sure they're not dependent on us for food imports if it comes to it. It sure looks like they're gearing up for that kind of a fight, but I don't really see that we are. I don't think decoupling is happening in a big way, and it really should have, beginning with the pandemic. Oh, exactly right. Um, China, their manufacturing is surging. It's the highest that it's been in 10 years, and they've taken 3 million of, of our jobs. They've decimated our manufacturing. We're dependent on them for everything, and they are there's a big move in China to not be dependent on, it, on anyone else. And this book, Pandemonium, China's Global Strategy to Cripple America by Curtis Ellis. Not only is it a wake-up call, but it's a plan to win with the exact strategy how to take back America, how we go, how Curtis shows how when the country, when our country first started, that we became the greatest industrial power in the world built on the American way. You know, we make things here, we buy things here, and how far we stray from that. And he has a new declaration of independence the same way that we declared independence from Britain, that we declare our independence because Curtis very wisely saw that economical and political dependence were connected. You know, I, I'm really interested in this business of the war on the dollar, China's attack on the dollar. China belongs to an organization, arguably leads it, called BRICS. They're the C in BRICS. And that organization is growing. There are more members applying for membership. And they are all together working pretty hard on supplanting the dollar as the medium of international exchange of oil purchases and switching over to other currencies. Now, I've heard different people say that that could either be apocalyptic for the United States, that's a knockout punch, we won't survive, 
or our debt-fueled government collapses if the dollar loses its special place. And I've heard others say it's a problem, but not that severe a problem. Where do you and, and where did Curtis come down on this? Well, Curtis saw, you know, first of all, our, hey, Curtis saw our, our first wake-up call was the pandemic when we saw that we were dependent on on China for our medical supplies, and then we had the, the Chinese spy balloon, and, and then that was a wake-up call. And in answer to your question, the, America has been wrong on everything with China. You know, so Curtis saw it as dangerous, very dangerous. That's what they are moving forward and surpassing us on so many levels, and that they are trying very strategically, have been trying for decades to move ahead and surpass the U.S. And that would be a disaster if that happened, and that's what they're trying to do. Well, the B in BRICS is Brazil, and they're now run by a hardcore left-winger who doesn't like the United States and is looking to get closer to China. And you have these other countries doing the same thing. It looks like they have a realistic chance of at very least weakening the dollar's special position in international finance. Are we doing anything? Is our government doing anything to prepare for this? Or is this going to be another sucker punch? We're just going to stand there and look surprised when it happens. Well, well, that's a, that's the a great question. I mean, China is doing this all over. It's doing it through Africa. It's doing it through every nation that they can. And we are not prepared. Not only are we not prepared, but as they got, bypass us on so many levels. I mean, the State Department just came out there, uh, with a study that said that technologically they're more advanced than we are, and we're standing still. You know, they have a bigger navy. They have greater. Uh, power on, on so many levels, and and this is all things that not only are they surpassing us, but we've created the dragon, and they're not responding to weakness and waiting to see what is Joe Biden going to do about this. It, uh, collaborate. Uh, Janet Yellen just uh, said, just offered an olive branch and said we want to collaborate and and, uh, and have fair trade. We've never had fair trade with China. They've decimated our manufacturing. Right. And at the same time, for instance, they let us be handicapped by these crazy environmental regulations and they couldn't care less about any of that stuff. They just do whatever they have to do. So they're building coal fired power plants. And, you know, over in the West, Germany shutting down its nuclear plants. It sure does look like a very asymmetrical battle going into the future for economic power, for currency power, for literal power energy. And China is better positioned to win on all of those fronts. And now diplomatically, you see China moving in with this this coup that they scored with Saudi Arabia and Iran. They negotiated a rapprochement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, and the Chinese said, this is the dawn of the Chinese century now. America no longer matters for such things. The Biden administration drove Saudi Arabia into China's arms. Joe Biden personally did it by shooting his mouth off during the campaign. So the Saudis are now on China's side. I mean, it sure looks like all the pieces are lining up against us. Uh, Exactly right. I mean, China's moving, moving, and moving ahead forward, and this is not something new. This is their strategy that they've been doing for decades. And in the, in this book, Pandemonium by Curtis Ellis, he shows this how it's, they've been doing it for decades. Curtis would say nothing new. This was their plan. And this is, like I said, Curtis Ellis has a blueprint for how to change and take our country back and take our economy back.
And then, you know, one other interesting thing is lithium, the electric vehicle stuff. China is cornering the market on lithium and lithium production. They are the biggest consumer of it right now. They control the electric vehicle industry, electric batteries. They control solar panels. They have a stranglehold on a technology that our government is trying to force all of us to use. And that really seems like a recipe for disaster. That's the opposite of decoupling. Exactly. I, I mean, that, that is exactly right. And we keep feeding them and, and giving them money. And Curtis has a plan of um, identifying, you know, what our shortfalls are, incentivizing and unifying. And unless we do that, China is on a path to control our country and export their repression all over the world. It is an alarming prospect, especially since the last few years have given us lots of examples of China using that economic leverage for political ends. The Chinese are not at all shy about commanding Western corporations to do their bidding and follow their speech codes. And if you don't, then they'll hurt you. And our government doesn't protect our industries that way, so it works every time. It's really troubling. Maxine Albert, former columnist for Elle magazine, her late husband Curtis Ellis wrote the book Pandemonium, China's Global Strategy to Cripple America. Thank you very much for joining us to talk about the book. I'm John Hayward. We'll be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show. In December, LastPass, a popular app for managing passwords, suffered a security breach, potentially exposing millions of people's personal information. When a business created to protect passwords gets hacked, it's a reminder how vulnerable our sensitive information can be when stored in the cloud. And for businesses who need to protect data, security is a top concern. To help prevent security risks, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud recently introduced a password manager. Jump Clouds Antoine Jabara. Businesses cannot always rely on an offline solution as users need to share and access passwords across multiple devices. And cloud based options aren't ideal either. Jump Cloud Password Manager takes a hybrid approach, storing data on users' devices and seamlessly syncs user vaults to multiple devices in an end to end encrypted way. This addresses some of the limitations of cloud based systems and bridges the gap between convenience and security. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you wanna support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got, got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? 
or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our vets need you. I'm a quadriplegic. I'm definitely at risk with my diminished lung capacity. I have MS. I'm in a wheelchair, and I can't leave the house because I have a compromised immune system. I'm very concerned about would there be a bed for me? Would there be a ventilator for me? Would I be able to survive something? It's, it's just heavy. You know, it's, it's a heavy... It's a heavy moment. This is a war. This really is. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. I am so grateful for the PVA. They're making sure that we have all of the food and supplies that we need right now. We all got to help each other right now. We can't get through this by ourselves. It's with profound gratitude that you're going to be saving our lives. To find out how you can help, please go to helppva.org. That's H-E-L-P-P-V-A dot org. Back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor at Breitbart News. I was talking with Maxine Albert a moment ago and mentioned China's power play in Ukraine. And I thought, you know, it'd be a good idea to bring you all up to speed on what's happening there, because these are some late-breaking developments uh, that just happened today. Well, as you know, Russia invaded Ukraine a little over a year ago, and Russia's good friend China has been quite quiet about all of this. They have refused to denounce the Russian invasion, even though Chinese politicians and diplomats endlessly pontificate about how peace-loving they are and how much they value national sovereignty, and all they want is win-win cooperation. That's their favorite phrase. And here is their buddy, Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, personal best friends with Chinese dictator Xi Jinping, and he goes and launches this absolutely savage attack on Ukraine. It's just an all-out war crime every single day as they're trying to obliterate the Ukrainian state, and China doesn't denounce them in any way, just lets it happen. They say something like, gee, we, we wish everybody would stop fighting. Uh, you know, They're not going to denounce Russia or say that the invasion was wrong because they're partners. 
their best friends, their partners, China, right about the time of the invasion, announced it had a no-limits partnership with Russia, that this, the sky was, was the limit now. They would do anything and everything together, their best friends. And here's Russia mauling this neighboring country, and China doesn't have a word to say about it. Well, a couple of months ago, China started making noises about how only they could be trusted to broker a peace in Ukraine. And China said, well, only we can do this because, for one thing, we're China. The U.S. under Joe Biden is nothing. There's sinking beneath the waves. China is the new power. We're the future. And we have an impartial position because even though we're best buds with Russia, we also have ties with Ukraine. They are Ukraine's largest trading partner. They were before the, the war began. And Ukraine signed onto China's Belt and Road Initiative, which is this massive international multi-billion dollar infrastructure program that China has been using to buy influence with various countries around the world. It's one of the more uh, terrible things that we were foolish to give them the money to do, but this would be your, your globalists that did this, that made China rich enough to undertake this program. And in many cases, China captures countries in debt traps with Belt and Road. They'll loan tons of money to countries for silly projects that can never repay it. And then they'll come back and say, hey, we'll forgive a little bit of your loan if you give us this port city, if you give us this sweet deal, if you let us build a naval base, whatever it is they want. And they've been able to take over a good deal of Africa by doing this. And they're constantly working on expanding their influence everywhere else in the world, too. Well, China has a Belt and Road deal with Ukraine, and ever since the beginning of the war, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has been pleading with Chinese dictator Xi Jinping to call him, talk to him, work something out, step in, tell Russia to back down. And when he does this, Zelensky reminds the Chinese that we're faithful partners in the Belt and Road Initiative, and he offers them a fat role in rebuilding Ukraine. He's done this several times. He said, China, if you'll step in here and get the Russians to back down, well, we're going to have to rebuild all of these damaged cities. Those will be very lucrative contracts, and China will have first crack at the best because we're best buds with China. This, while the United States, while you, taxpaying chump, have been sending hundreds of billions of dollars of military support to Ukraine. Every day, the Ukrainians say, send us more money, America, and then they turn around to China and say, please help us end this, and we'll give you the sun, the moon, and the stars if you'll help us get Russia off our backs. And to some extent, you can't blame the Ukrainians for doing everything possible to try to get an end to the war. And if China can do it, then, you know, they, they want their help. But it is a little grating and quite a bit humiliating to the Biden administration to see how much we have done to protect Ukraine. And yet there is no talk whatsoever of any special debt to the United States. They're wholly interested in getting the Chinese on their side at this point, and they will offer China anything to step in and help them with Russia. Well, President Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, he finally got his phone call with Xi Jinping this morning. Chinese dictator Xi Jinping called him on the phone after a year, more than a year, of not talking to him since the invasion began. And they had a conversation in which the Chinese dictator made it pretty clear that what they're looking for is that peacemaker, kingmaker role. China thinks this would be the diplomatic knockout punch that would permanently displace the United States as the leading nation in the world and henceforth China would be seen as the global hegemon because they're the ones that brought an end to the war in Ukraine. So they have a peace plan that they've been pushing from China that's kind of silly. It's really vague. It's like a 12-step peace plan, and step one is stop killing each other. Oh, really? Gee, if only we had known it would be that simple. But the whole plan is like that. It's all very vague. But China acts like it's one of the greatest documents ever written in the history of the world, and they keep pushing everybody to sit down and talk about their peace plan. 
and President Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, said on the phone today that, yes, let's do that. I want you to sit down and talk with me, and we'll see if we can get Russia to the table and do our peace plan. China is coasting on the success of having gotten Saudi Arabia and Iran to talk to each other. They were enemies for a long time. They had, had very frosty relations between each other. And a few months ago, China managed to get Saudi Arabia and Iran to have a peace conference, and they opened embassies in each other's countries and started patching things up between them. And the Chinese took great credit for doing this and said, only we could have done this. The United States would never have done this. And part of the backstory to that, which I'd mentioned when I was talking to Maxine Albert, is that during his election campaign in 2020, uh, President Joe Biden uh, said that the Saudis were criminals. Their leader, Mohammed bin Salman, should be an outlaw. They should be pariahs. He, he talked like a tough guy, which he does. And that began the process of losing Saudi Arabia as a U.S. ally. That The Saudis took him at his word. They, they were insulted. They thought he meant it, that he was really going to try using pressure against them in various ways for things he didn't like, human rights violations. So that pushed them into the waiting arms of China. And now Saudi and, and Iran are, are friends again, and China is claiming credit for doing it. And that has given China more credibility to say that we will be the peacemaker in Ukraine. We're the only ones that can be, and we'll work something out. Now, the Russians responded to China's little chat with Zelensky this morning in a pretty negative way. They were polite to China, which is their big brother in this new axis of evil that's forming up in the world. So they didn't act mad at the Chinese. They said, oh, we give you great credit for doing your best and wanting peace. But they were mad at the Ukrainians. And they basically were telling Xi Jinping, don't let this guy fool you. Zelensky doesn't want peace. He's a puppet of the Americans. They want the war to go on forever. And he'll sabotage any peace deal that we make because they're grinding us into, into hamburger here in this Ukrainian war. And that's what America wants. America wants us and Ukrainians killing each other forever to weaken Russia so that they can have a more prestigious position in the world. So that was Russia's response to this. Now, if you're Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, you're going to have to play ball with that narrative, just as Zelensky has already legitimized China's narrative and said that you guys are the great peacemakers, we have great relations with you, we'll let you rebuild Ukraine if you'll step in and save us from Russia and, and convince them to call it off. So they're, they're schmoozing hard with China, and that means they have to legitimize China's diplomatic position. They have to basically say, yes, everything the Chinese are saying here is true and credible. And now they're going to have to swallow a bit of what Russia had to say. If they want to get Russia to the negotiating table, if China can really pull this off, then Zelensky's going to have to make nights with Russia. And if China does pull this off, if they actually do broker a ceasefire in the Ukraine war, it would pretty much decisively end the American century of, of planetary dominance. The Biden administration would look just incredibly stupid just sitting there watching this happen. And it's bad news for us. I know some people don't like foreign policy, but we can't afford to ignore it. I'm John Hayward, sitting in for Alan Nathan. Thank you very much for joining us on this hour of the Alan Nathan Show. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.